thankful for you and your ministry here and for the truth of that song. It's a reality we need to come back to time and time again that people, we need the Lord. I want to direct your attention to the Gospel of John chapter 9. Now, don't be afraid just because the whole chapter is listed as a text this morning. Uh, I'm not going to preach the whole thing, but this is a narrative in the life of Jesus that is covered in one chapter. It's a long narrative as Jesus heals a blind man, and I didn't want to break it up into sections and miss the overall picture. So we're going to focus on the first part of this and then the latter part and just touch briefly on that in the, the middle. The main issue here is a miracle Jesus does in restoring sight to a blind man. And we know that Jesus is a miracle worker. But I would remind you that when he performs a miracle, this is not Jesus like some good old boy poking Peter in the side saying, Hey, Peter, watch this. Every miracle had a purpose. The primary purpose was to point to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. That was the main point. In fact, when you do a study of miracles throughout the whole Bible, you'll see that they happen at times of, of key moments in the story of redemption. For example, in the Old Testament, there are two areas where the predominant amount of miracles take place, at the Exodus and in the times of Elijah and Elijah, Elisha. In the Exodus, to show that God is truly God and not the false gods of the Pharaohs. So you have these miracles taking place. Miracles associated with redemption. In the times of Elijah and Elisha, miracles were to show that the, the false god Baal is no god at all. But Yahweh is the one true God. Now, as Jesus did miracles, there were two that were very unique. No precedent for. Walking on the water. And I would accompany that with calming the storm. And healing the blind. In the Old Testament we have where people were brought back from the dead. But only Jesus walked on water. And only Jesus healed the blind. The reason being is that those two miracles. Are only attributed in the Old Testament. To God. Only God walks upon the water. Only God restores sight to the blind and does that through the Messiah. So if Jesus walks on the water and if Jesus restores sight to the blind, therefore Jesus must be God. He must be the Messiah. Now, the miracle of restoration of sight serves as a model for us to understand salvation. Perhaps more than any other miracle except for the resurrection of the dead, it serves as a model for us to understand what happens when we are saved. It serves as a paradigm to understand what happens when a person professes faith in Jesus Christ. Because every believer can echo the words of John Newton's famous hymn, I was blind, but now I... That's our testimony. So this miracle of blindness serves as a model to understand saving faith. Now I want to give you an overview of this chapter. 
And as I said, though, we will focus on the first part and the end part. Verses 1 through 7 contains the miracle. Jesus healing this man who had been blind from birth. In verses 8 through 12, the neighbors of this man questioned him. They knew he was blind, so obviously their question is, what happened? And then the Pharisees get involved. The religious leaders, the spiritual gurus of the time, the moralists. They question the man to determine what happened. And their issue is not really the man, but it's their antipathy toward Jesus. Their animosity toward him. They do not want to accept the fact that Jesus has done this. Because if he has done this, it means he must be the Messiah. So they have to do everything they can to discredit this miracle. So they question the man. They question his parents. Was this really your son? Is this really your son? How can he see now? Surely he wasn't really blind from birth. Now the parents, they to use a, a, a good term in the, south, in the south, we'll understand, they crawdad on it. They back up. Well, our son's of age. You ask him. We're not going to stick our necks on the line because anyone that claimed that Jesus was the Messiah was kicked out of the synagogue, shunned. They would have nothing to do with them. So the parents kind of throw up their hands and say, talk to him, talk to the son. They question the man again, and the man unequivocally states that Jesus must be God. Then the narrative concludes in verses 35 through 41 as Jesus seeks out the man to address the real issue. The real issue wasn't his physical sight. The real issue was the heart. So let's start with verses 1 through 7. And he, that is Jesus, passed by. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, turn over, if you need to, in the, your Bible to verse 35. The man has been cast out of the synagogue, shunned. Verse 35 now. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. 
some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning. Grant that we will see the glory of Jesus Christ and follow the example of this man who was formerly blind by worshiping you. Grant it, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This work of giving sight is really the work of the church. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not that we can restore physical sight or we can even save anyone. That is the work of God and God alone. That is what Jesus does. However, we are to join in that work. I want you to notice that this whole story, this narrative begins with a question that has been asked really ever since the fall occurred. Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? The common assumption at the time was that if somebody is suffering due to illness, surely it's because they have sinned. They're paying for their sin or they're paying for their parents' sins. Hence the question that is given in verse 2. His disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now notice Jesus' answer because it's very important. It was not that this man or his parents sinned, neither one. I think it's very easy for us to try to look around and try to find an exact causal agent. This person is suffering because they must be worse. And the Bible does not allow us to do that. Jesus said that this man did not sin, nor did his parents sin, but this blindness has occurred for a greater purpose. What's that purpose? It's that the works of God might be displayed I would submit to you that as we begin to ask questions as to why this pandemic is occurring, why are these things happening, we may never know why. That's God's prerogative. I think our issue as the church is this. How can we be a light? How can we be about showing the works of God in the midst of a time when the world around us seems to be in utter chaos? That's exactly what Jesus does. He says, I'm not going to try to figure out or even explain why. Rather, I'm going to be about displaying the works of God. So the question we need to ask is this. What are the works of God? Well, the work of God is bringing about redemption. And if I may be even more specific, the work of God is to point to Jesus Christ in whom His greatest glory is shown. So God is working to point to Jesus because in Jesus we see God most clearly. In Jesus we see the character of God most fully on display. In Jesus and the work of Jesus in the cross and the resurrection and redemption, we see the power of God on display. So this should be a time for us to say, let us focus on Jesus and let that light shine. I find it very interesting that in the Chinese language there are two characters that are put together to communicate the word for crisis. The word for crisis in Chinese combines the symbol for danger and the symbol for opportunity. What a better way to describe this time. Yes, there's risk and we're taking every precaution we can to be wise, to be safe. But there is the opportunity to share the gospel. Because notice something. Notice in verse 4. Jesus says, I must be about the works. 
Look at verse 4. Somebody should be saying, no preacher. That's not what it says. What does it say? We. We must work the works of Him. The disciples. We must work the works of Him. We must be about the Father's business. The disciples are called to join in. And notice it is with a sense of urgency. He says, we must work the works of Him who sent me. Notice the time frame. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. That's a way of saying, cut the hay when it's ripe. Make hay while the sun's shining. Be about the God's business when there's opportunity. Don't sit back thinking, well, there'll be another time later on. I'll get to it later. I'll witness later on. I'll share the gospel later. I'll make that call later. Because Jesus says, night's coming when you may not be able to make that call. When you may not be able to share the gospel. When you may not have the opportunity that is before you right now. He is saying, be aware of the time and do the work while the work is able to be done. Now is the time to act. That's why we support missions. That's why we give for missionaries to go where we can't go. That's why missions should be at the heartbeat of the church. Because we are to be about working the works of God while it is not. And the works of God are pointing to redemption in Jesus. Because this work of giving sight is His work. Notice it's dependent upon Him. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. That's a very familiar metaphor for Jesus. Jesus says it here in reference to himself. I'm the light of the world. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But now understand something. If we join in the work with Jesus, we share in that mission of being light. If Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we become the light of the world. Since Jesus is not here physically now, the church is His body that is here physically to shine the light. This contrast of light and darkness is a very familiar one in the Scripture. Darkness represents a lack of knowledge about God, a lack of truth. It represents wandering away from God. It represents life lived apart from God. Darkness is when we shake our fist at God and say, Not your way, Lord, but mine. That's the basis of all sin. I'm going to do things my way. Not God's way. I'm not even going to seek God. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's darkness. But Jesus comes to shine light, to give knowledge of God, to give a relationship with God, to give redemption so that we can share in the light and never discount how crucial your light is. Because even the smallest of light makes a huge difference in the darkness. A few weeks ago, I had an experience that probably... I'd say most of you can empathize with. Had to get up in the night. It was about 2.30. It was dark in the room. And as I'm making my way through the room, there was an ottoman there that I forgot was there. And my little pinky toe on my right foot made contact with that ottoman. My father used to describe a phenomenon as something that occurs when two objects try to occupy the same space at the same time. That doesn't work well. And I literally think I broke my toe. 
I went downstairs, got an ice pack, went back upstairs and sat on the bathroom floor because that was the only way I could reach my foot. That's right. That was the only way. And sat on the bathroom floor for 30 minutes with an ice pack on my little toe. How much difference would a small pin light have made that night if I had had it on? How much pain would I have been saved? How much cursing would have been prevented? If I'd had just a little bit of light, never discount a little bit of light in the darkness. That little bit of light may be you simply reaching out, not just in an act of kindness, but verbally sharing why you're doing it. This is because of Jesus. Because I want you to look at what Jesus does here. Jesus, who is the light, reaches out to this man in a way that's understandable. That's our God. It's a model for us in reaching out. Because notice what Jesus does. He spits on the ground and makes mud out of the spit. Now, one, there's a level of like, okay, that's just kind of gross. But understand at that time, that was recognized as making a, a compress to put on the man's eyes. It was communicating in a way, two ways that that man could understand. Not just hearing Jesus, but the act of touching the eyes and feeling the mud. And to the people around Jesus, it symbolized something. It symbolized he was meeting them where they are. That's why he also says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. That was for ritual purity. That was so this man could make a public act demonstrating that now he was clean. There was no blindness. Jesus did not have to do any of that. I would remind you that this is Jesus who was present when the world was created. And Jesus does things with a word. Get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. But he doesn't do the, that here so he can meet the blind man exactly where he is. That's the model for us as we go out to share, as we go out to speak. We go out to share our light where people are. Understand that there's a lot of people who know about the name of Jesus, but don't really know Him. And it's time for us to step up and maybe just begin a conversation by simply asking this. What do you think about Jesus? And engage in a conversation. And that, I believe, will open a door for another conversation. Listening and talking. Because I think sometimes we need to get back to the simplicity of a faith that is communicated in a children's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We do that dependent upon Christ who is the light. Now, I'm not naive and I'm not skipping over the fact that there may be some who don't want to hear that. That happens here. Because notice controversy begins. The Pharisees get involved. And verses 8 all the way through verse 34 deals with the Pharisees doing everything they can to disprove this miracle. Because if they acknowledge that it has happened, then they are backed into a corner where they have to acknowledge that Jesus is indeed God. That's why I find it very amazing that, notice how verse 34 ends. The blind man has said, if... If this man wasn't from God, he couldn't open the eyes of someone born blind. He's got to be God. So notice their response. 
You are born in utter sin. They can't let go of their tradition and their belief that sin had to cause the illness. So they say, you're still in sin. What can you teach us? And look at the next phrase. They cast him out. From here on out, that man was not welcomed in the temple or the synagogue because of what he said about Jesus. He was shunned, removed, nothing to do with him. That's why the grace of God is on display in what happens next. What does Jesus do? He heard that they had cast him out and having found him, Jesus went to seek the one that nobody else wanted anything to do with. He went to the one that was now ostracized and shunned and he seeks him out because now Jesus wants to deal with the real issue. Even though sin had not caused the blindness, it did not mean the man was sinless. He still needed a redeemer. Look what Jesus does. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now that's a question of faith. That word believe is the word faith. You could translate that, do you faith the Son of Man? Do you trust Him? You see, He had heard the teachings. He had heard about the Messiah, but now is where that rubber starts to meet the road. Do you really believe it? It's like having it put to you like this. If you believe that, that there was a cure for cancer here and you were to say, yes, I believe it, but the question comes, do you believe it enough to actually take it? It's one thing to give this sort of mental assent to, yes, I know there's a Jesus, but it's a whole other thing to repent and be a follower. That's where this man ends up. Through this chapter, there's a progression. Verses 11 and 12, when the healed man is questioned by the Pharisees, he responds by saying, all I know, it was a man called Jesus. In verse 17, when he is cross-examined, he says, Jesus is a prophet. Okay, it's a man named Jesus. Now he says, well, he has to be a prophet. In verse 33, look back up there. If this man were not from God, Next step in the progression of faith. Jesus, prophet, man from God. Now he's asked the question, do you believe he's the Messiah? Now he answers him, who is he, sir? This is verse 36, that I may believe in him. Now that may seem odd, but I want you to keep this in mind. This is the first time that man has laid eyes on Jesus. Look at the text carefully. The healing did not occur till the man had gone to the pool of Siloam and on his way back he received sight. Jesus was gone. This is the first time this man is seeing Jesus face to face. The voice sounds familiar but the face is new. And that's why Jesus, he says, who is he that I can believe in him? And Jesus says, it's me, the one who is speaking to you. And the response of the man is the faith response. Notice how he refers to Jesus. Lord, it's the acknowledgement that Jesus is God. I believe. The Bible says that it's with the mouth we confess and with the heart we believe. And then he worships him. He venerates Jesus. That word worshiped is the idea of he began and it continues. He's worshiping him. That's the marks of a disciple. Believe Jesus is Lord. 
you confess that publicly and you worship Him. And that means Jesus becomes the centerpiece of your life. Now that's in contrast with the Pharisees. The words of Jesus are very strong for those who believe their religiosity will save them. Jesus interacts with them. Are we blind, they say? They're responding to what Jesus said. He says, I came for judgment, not to condemn the world, but judgment in the sense that Jesus is the dividing line in which you must decide. You have to make a decision. Either He is God or He isn't. Either He is Savior or He's not. And the Pharisees say, are you saying we are blind? Now that's the tragedy of it. They knew the Scriptures but missed Jesus. The obvious was right there in front of them. It can be so easy to miss the obvious. I heard a story recently, and it's, it's, it's a fictional story, but I think it makes the point. It's a story of a man that had worked on the border as a border guard for years. One day when he was working, he noticed a man approaching a pickup truck, and he had one of those gut feelings, that intuition a police officer always has, that something was just not right. So he pointed the man to the side, searched the truck from top to bottom, underneath it, under the hood, found nothing. Had to let the man go on through. And he noticed that every few months, the man would pull up in a pickup truck, same thing. And this happened year after year, several months during the year. Same man pulls up in a pickup truck, intuition, something's going on here, but finds nothing. Finally, the border guard's ready to retire. The man pulls up. The officer's exasperated. He says, you know what? You've been coming here several months every year. Every year I search you and I find nothing. I'm retiring. At this point, I'm not going to arrest you. I just don't want to do the paperwork. I'm ready to retire. But you've got to tell me, are you smuggling something? The guy looks at me and he says, yes, I am. Well, what are you smuggling? Where is it? The guy says, this is what I'm smuggling. Pickup trucks. right in front of him but missed it that's the Pharisees right in front of him but you miss it why? for the Pharisees it was this reason they wanted to believe they were good enough and moral enough to merit salvation and to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah meant that they had failed, that they needed a Savior. I wonder what the issue is for us. You see, our danger may not be like the Pharisees of being moral, but it may be that we hear the name of Jesus so often, we don't respond like the man who was healed did. We don't worship Him. We take it for granted. I'm okay. I'm good. I go to church. I know the facts of the story. But the facts only work if you believe them in your heart and it translates into worship. I was blind, but now I see. This man can testify of that on two levels. The physical sight and his heart sight. What about you today? Your physical vision may be perfect. But what about your heart? 
Are you right with God? The only way to be right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to offer an invitation this morning. The way we'll conduct the invitation is this. If the Spirit of God is moving on your heart, I would not want to do anything to quench that. So what I'm going to ask is when we stand and sing, if you will just come down the aisle, there are plenty of seats here on the front row, and just have a seat on the front row. And after the service, we'll have a chance to sit and talk. But if the Spirit of God is moving on your heart and you recognize, you know what, I know a lot of things about Jesus, but I'm not a follower. Today's the day. Work the works of Him who sent Jesus while it is day. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and after this prayer, Cheryl will lead us in singing. Father, we thank you that you give sight to the blind. And Lord, that's all of us. We need to have the eyes of our hearts opened, oh God. And Lord, I thank you that through Jesus Christ that occurs. So Father, I pray this morning that the light has shone brightly. And by your grace, we will respond accordingly. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.